This is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus, no matter what you're going through today. Recently, Ken Can, one of our elders, had an encounter of a lifetime as he walked in the footsteps of Jesus in the Holy Land. And today, I've asked Ken to describe his encounter to all of us so that we can have a little encounter as well. Encounter of a lifetime. Wow, I'm telling you, even from the first service this morning to even now, I'll tell you, you talk about an encounter of a lifetime is when we come together and worship God. Man, thank you for coming this morning. Thank you for coming to worship. Yeah. I tell you, there is no other time in our life that we will ever be closer to God is than when we worship. So thank you for being here this morning. And so we continue our encounter of a lifetime. And uh, I was honored uh, to be asked by Pastor Steve if I would, I would share my encounter of a lifetime. And let me tell you, when you look at an encounter of a lifetime, just to define the word encounter is a totally unexpected experience, and that it was. It was physically, emotionally, and spiritually exhausting. <laughs> Amen? Yeah, for those of you that were there, you know, you know. But man, let me tell you, would I do it again? Yes. Am I? I hope to one day, because I'm telling you, there is so much more to see and to see again. Can't wait to get back there. It was absolutely incredible. And also, our souvenirs. We had packed all of our souvenirs up in Jerusalem and shipped them back. So I'm excited and happy to share that. <coughs> Excuse me. All of our souvenirs made it safely back to our house this past week. So we're really excited about that. And one that I'm, I'm, I'm kind of uh, I'm excited about, I don't know if you are ever familiar in the Bible where uh, John shared with us about the miracle uh, where Jesus turned the water into wine. You recall that? Well, John was the only one that wrote about that. But it was kind of cool. That, that whole experience was pretty neat. And to, to be in that area, and there was a little town called Cana, and they still are not sure exactly where that was, but that's where that very first miracle took place. And I was so excited. My wife and I are going to be, uh, in, the, in, in the fall, we're going to be uh, having our 44th wedding anniversary. Yeah. Awesome. So... One thing that I did get and bring back was a bottle of the wedding wine. So I wanted to make sure that her and I could share that <laughs> together. So we're going to share that together. So, so it is. So it does say on there, it says, Cana wedding wine, Cana of Galilee. So, so I did get that. So my wife and I are, are going to share that. But uh, I just had to share that with you. But... It was exciting to get all of our little souvenirs and things that we can share with our family and our grandchildren. So, so that's what it was. So my encounter of a lifetime was with John. And so when you look at John, John's the one that Jesus nicknamed Son of Thunder, right? And I kind of uh, connected myself with him over the years and, and listening through you know, his story and the way that he brought uh, the gospel to life. But uh, John was zealous, as it's said in Scripture. He was zealous. So when you look at the word zealous, it's intense. It's passionate. It's committed. It's dedicated, enthusiastic. It's sincere and energetic, purposeful, forceful. So when you look at that, you know, sometimes we're looking at, at that word forceful. It's like thunder, right? It, it, can be, uh, it can be very, very destructive and harmful. But ultimately, what was really awesome, when you see John, he was controlled by godly love and godly wisdom. So there was an incredible change that took place in his life. Christ knew exactly the character and nature of John, the one he loved and the one he chose. So my name is, is, is Ken Can. I'm not the pastor. Pastor Steve's here this morning. He's in the back. But uh, I'm one of the elders here at the orchard, and, and I'm honored to be able to share. And if, if I wasn't here, there'd, I know there'd be an emptiness with uh, the did you knows. So I do have to share a couple of did you knows this morning. And so, you know, in doing that, 
uh, I'll just jump right in. So I've got a lot of stuff. I'll keep moving because I had to take 14 pages of notes and condense them down to eight pages in order to stay within a 35-minute timeline. That's what I set up for myself. I wasn't going to take advantage like the other guys and take an extra 10, 15, whatever long, but, but that's just me. That's what I'm, I'm going to stay. I'm going to, I'm going to stick to my notes. I don't want to miss anything, and I don't want you to miss what God has for you this morning. So when we look at this together, here's a first did you know. Did you know Jerusalem is considered to be one of the most holiest places in the world? Why is that? Well, it's the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and it's in the Christian quarter in the city of Jerusalem. And according to traditions dating back to the 4th century, it contains the two holiest sites in Christianity, the site where Jesus was crucified, known as Calvary or Golgotha, and the empty tomb where he's believed by Christians who have been buried and resurrected. So that's the first one. But as we continue, you can see uh, all around the city of Jerusalem here. But did you know that in 2021, just this past year, Jerusalem was the number one most popular city visited in Israel? 3.5 million people in 2001 visited the city of Jerusalem. Wow, that's absolutely incredible. Second was Tel Aviv. Uh, Third was the Dead Sea, where we had a chance to go and be in the Dead Sea, float around. It was was pretty awesome. And then fourth was Galilee, which is the Tiberias and the Nazareth area, which uh, we had a chance to stay a couple of nights there, which were pretty cool. So, And also, did you know that there was a recent census that was taken? And it was in Israel, and it's telling us that there are about 185,000 Christians living in Israel. Now, I'm not talking about just Jerusalem. We're talking about the entire state of Israel. There are only 185,000 Christians. That's less than 2% of their entire population. And did you know that Jerusalem is known as the city of peace? Yeah, think about that. I want to share some quick history with you, so I'm going to blow through this. This is some, some interesting history about Jerusalem. It sits at the crossroads of the ancient world. It's held in high esteem by the three largest monotheistic religions, which is Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, okay? And each one believes, so the, the monotheistic, what that means is each one believes that there is one God. But obviously, there's only one, as Christianity believes the true and has a correct view of who God really is. And over the past 3,000 years, it has been in at least 118 conflicts since 1350 B.C. The city was completely destroyed at least twice, once by the Babylonians under King Nebuchadnezzar and again by the Romans under Titus in A.D. 70. The Roman Empire... Hadrian destroyed a portion of it in AD 135, and the Mongols destroyed another portion of the city around AD 1260. In addition, the city was captured at least 40 times and besieged at least 23 times. When archaeologists finally began excavating the city of Jerusalem, they were surprised to discover that from the layers of rubble, they were surprised to discover that it indicated that parts of Jerusalem had been destroyed at least, at least 40 times. The layers of the rubble in some places were anywhere from 60 to over 100 feet deep. That's where we walked. They were 60 to 100 feet below us. So it's absolutely amazing when you're, when you're thinking about that. Since the British mandate in 1922 to present, the question still is, who rules Jerusalem? The city's been claimed by Christians, by Jews, by Muslims. And uh, what's really neat in there, the oldest portion of the city is still divided into the Armenian, Christian, Jewish, and Muslim quarters. So we had a chance to walk through each and every one of those areas, which was was pretty, pretty awesome. And even though the Jewish people are currently living in and controlling the city of Jerusalem, the Bible is clear that the Gentiles will continue to struggle over the city. There will be at least one more time when Jerusalem will be overtaken in battle. Zechariah describes the horrible destruction as the nations will come against it in the last days. But then the Lord will return, and he'll fight for his city. 
Several prophecies in the Old Testament describe that final peace that will reign when Jesus finally destroys all the enemies of his people. Until that day comes, you and I are commanded by God in Psalm 122 to pray for the peace of Israel. My ancestors from my dad's side of the family are from Israel. My mom, her side of the family, they're from Russia and France. They finally ended up in England prior to landing in Canada and in the United States in Michigan in the late 1800s. My mom's parents, they met as teenagers at church in a little town called Roseville. And they were already believers when they met and later were married. But my dad's parents, they met at a youth rally in Detroit, Michigan, where the gospel was shared. And my grandma and my grandpa, they came to know Christ there at that time. Wow, what an absolute awesome memory to have. But shortly after that, my grandparents, my dad's parents, they were married. But no one from my grandmother's side of the family were present at the wedding. And the reason why is she had already literally received a torn collar uh, from her father, my great-grandfather, and she was considered dead and removed from the family because that wedding with my grandfather and her was the first of Christian religion, and it was the first time that that had been broken on that side of the family in all of their Jewish traditions and religions. I wanted to share something else in here. There's a, a beautiful picture that I had when I was literally standing. Um, this is uh, Caesarea, Caesarea by the sea, and I was literally standing. This is the Mediterranean. And uh, while I'm standing there, I just my, my head and my mind is just, it's all over the place. I'm thinking about all of these things that took place, not just in, in my family, in my, my ancestors over the years, but just what God had done, what he's doing, what he's still doing today. Because when we're looking at this area right here, it's so awesome that at that very point, God used this as an incredible springboard for Christianity to be sent to the Western world. And it was just absolutely awesome just to be stand there and just to be overtaken with all of those thoughts. And I literally just stood there and I said, thank you, God. Thank you for the incredible work that you, you, you've done, that you're still doing. You know, and when we look at, um, at the calling of the disciples, it's key episode in the life of Jesus. It appears in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, and it all takes place on the Sea of Galilee. And then in John, where John reports the very first encounter with two disciples a little earlier while they were with John the Baptist. And so let's use uh, Matthew uh, chapter 4, verses 18 through 22 as a reference for this right now. And this is what he wrote. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately... They left the boat and their father and followed him. When Jesus called them, what did he say? Two words. What was it? Follow me. What would you do if somebody said that to you? <laughs> You'd probably struggle with that, right? But what's really neat is when Jesus called them and he said, follow me, what did they do? They immediately, immediately dropped their nets, left the boat, left his father, immediately. Wow, what a great example and lesson from, from the life of John. When God calls you or I to do something, don't question what he's asking us to do. Don't procrastinate. Don't put it off. 
Don't come up with all these excuses. You know, the sooner you and I answer, the sooner we'll avoid all the unnecessary circumstances that will eventually come. So the question is, is God calling you to do something? Has he asked you to follow him somewhere? Maybe he already has and you're still waiting to answer? I'm not sure where you're at this morning. But my encouragement to you is don't delay your answer. And you say, why, Ken? Why is that? Because let me tell you, living the life with God is a lot better and a lot different than living a life by yourself. With God, everything is possible, and immediately, immediately, it has purpose. So the Apostle John made a life-changing decision that day, and that decision, when he made it, he made it immediately. Will you? And that brings us to our first fill-in-the-blank on your page this morning. Answer God's call today. Answer God's call today. There's another picture that we're going to take a look at here. Here's an, uh, of the Sea of Galilee. And, of course, it was so neat, just so many things that took place here at the Sea of Galilee with the disciples, with Jesus. It was absolutely awesome and just beautiful. When you look at the Sea of Galilee, uh, ultimately the Jordan River runs in on the north side and it, and it goes out on the south side of the Sea of Galilee. And so really the sea is a freshwater lake. The sea itself is, is uh, 13 miles long by seven miles wide. And it's just beautiful because you have this beautiful mountain range, all this hilly land that is all the way around it. So it's really neat how it's just all right in that one area. But, but before John became a disciple of Christ, he was first a follower of John the Baptist. And we can read about this in John uh, 1, 35 through 37. And it says, The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. It was that easy. You know, God has sent you and I teachers, pastors, ministers, lay ministers, several different people to help us in our walk and in our growth with Christ. But sometimes we tend to look at that person rather than looking at the person that they're representing. So it's not difficult to see why we have so many people that follow human leaders more than following Jesus. Good thing about John the Baptist is, is he always directed his followers to Christ. He was never afraid to lose a following. And John, the apostle John, he was quick to follow Jesus, the true shepherd. When it comes to choosing between Jesus and man, are you making the right choice? Will you make the right choice? So my encouragement to you is in the second fill in the blank there, follow Jesus, not men. Follow Jesus, not men. You still with me? Oh, yeah, all right. All right, here we go. So this next picture that we're going to look at is a picture of a courtyard. So there, there's many, many different courtyards that you can see and, and, and walk through when you're in the city of Jerusalem. And, and it's always hard to get a picture without someone else in it. I mean, you really have to work hard at taking a picture without somebody else in it. And so this one I happened because it kind of gives us a good example of what a courtyard looks like with a, uh, a, a doorway. And, of course, this is metal. Uh, it's probably not the original door, but at least it gives us kind of a good reference and thought in our mind of what it may look like. So the Apostle John, he's, he's among the closest friends of Jesus. And like John, you and I need to take advantage of every single opportunity that we have to spend time with God. And we can do this. I mean, that's what we're doing right now. Are you spending time with God this morning? Did you do that when we worshiped? Amen. You have an opportunity when, you're, when you pray. Right? We have that opportunity to spend time with, with God in our Bible studies, in our meditation, even in our fellowship. Are you choosing to fellowship with people that are like-minded, that love God and love others like you do? Is that where you're spending your time to build one another up? 
You know, for John, it just wasn't, just wasn't enough for him just to be a disciple of Christ. He wanted more. And it resulted in that he was counted as the one who loved Jesus. The close relationship between Jesus and John is demonstrated on the night that Christ was betrayed in the hour following his death. And I'd like us to read about that in John 18, verses 15 and 16. And Scripture says, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. In this point, all other disciples had deserted their master. However, moments later, Peter would also forsake Christ, leaving John as the only disciple who has not left him. John was even present during the crucifixion of Christ. As Christians, we're not all called just to be followers of Christ when things are going good, when everything's running smooth, right? Like John, you and I need to be ready, no matter what, to stand with God, to be there with Him, to make sure that we are taking Him with us wherever we go, no matter how rough and tough the road gets. John, he also knew that his life could have been taken just for following Christ, but he still chose to stand by his side until death. We can see that following Christ could possibly be a matter of life and death for us one day. And when that happens, our close relationship with God will be enough to see us through. It will be enough to protect us, right? What's the worst that could ever happen to us? God call us home? What's wrong with that? Isn't that the ultimate? I mean, that's what we're looking for. Amen? Amen. So we can see that uh, following Christ could be a matter of life and death. But, but when that happens, we want to stand firm, right? And we want it, we, it'll give us the ne necessary strength, no matter what, to stand the storm. And that brings us to our third fill in the blank. Develop a closer relationship with God. Develop a closer relationship with God. This next picture that we're going to look at is a place of the skull. And, of course, above it, this would have been known as Calvary, Golgotha, where Jesus was put on the cross, where he hung. And it's, uh, it's, it's hard to really kind of get a visual of this. I kind of had to kind of close it in and crop it because it's amazing what we see, what man has done over the years and over the centuries. So there's, I mean, there's just all kinds of stuff that's all around here. I mean, all kinds of people. Literally, right down over here on that side is a parking lot for the tourist buses. So you have to physically try to just position yourself so that you can get, at least get a good picture and at least focus in to kind of just give us an idea. But when we, when we read in Scripture about the place of the skull, this is where they believe that that, that took place. You know, so Mary and John, they were present during the crucifixion of Christ. And we read this in John chapter 19, verses 26 and 27. And John wrote, When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Wow. John's response was clear and it was decisive, right? He didn't hesitate. He didn't question Jesus even while he was on the cross. What are you, what are you asking me to do? No. He already knew what Jesus was asking him to do and he didn't question him. And scripture tells us from that hour, he started taking care of Mary. Wow. When God calls or tells you or I to do something new, are we ready to accept it? Are you ready for God to give you something new to do? You ready to take something new on for his glory? Are you 
ready to take something on and give it your best for his honor and glory? Are you ready to do whatever it takes to take on something new that will give God glory? And in other words, you might want for those of us here in the north, are you ready just to get her done? <laughs> just get her done, right? And so is God telling you and I to do something new, something we've never done before? Like maybe get involved? Get involved in worship. Are you connected when you come in the morning to worship? Did you really come here this morning to worship? Did you give your all to God when we worshiped? Whether you can sing or not, we can still say the words. Wow. Are you ready to get involved with fellowship? Get connected with people that are like-minded. Are you ready to join a life group? Are you ready to teach? Maybe lead a life group. Join a ministry team. Maybe be the new light in your neighborhood, something that nobody else is doing. Maybe it's time to do something new like love God more. Love others more. And that brings us to our next fill in the blank. Be ready for a new task. Be ready for a new task. This next picture that we're going to look at is, uh, might be familiar to some, it might not, but uh, in years past, it was known as the, the Wailing Wall. But it's not called that when you're there and th those that live in the city of Jerusalem. It's just, it's the West Wall. So is there anything that you notice that when you look at that wall? I'm telling you, that shirt of Stephen Young is absolutely incredible. Can you see that shirt right there? I thought, man, if everybody in our group had one of those shirts, we would never miss each other. Woo! But uh, not really. That's not what I, I mean. And, and mat matter of fact, it, uh, in the first service, somehow it got cropped out, and I, I told Joyce, hey, I want that shirt in there because that was awesome, and, and that was just a, a great picture. But um, what's really neat about this wall is um, you've got a lot of men in here, and the men and women were separated because they can't be together in this particular area. And same when they're, when they're in synagogues and, and worshiping. And so I was kind of took time, and, and I walked. I mean, I walked in and out and all around down there, and I was just listening to, to what was taking place. I couldn't understand. Uh, there, there were those that were, were, were praying. There's uh, rabbis that are meeting with uh, those uh, younger men that they're, they're teaching and training. So they're, they're reciting scripture. Some uh, were even uh, singing while they were reciting. And they were, it was just uh, pretty incredible as I kind of walked through there. But ultimately, I wanted, to, I wanted to make it all the way to the wall. I just had to touch it. I don't know why, but I just had to touch it. And I don't know what I was expecting to feel when I touched it. I don't know if I was going to get shocked or whatever, you know, but I did. I literally just walked down there, and I, I put my hand on that wall. And I just had my, my head down, and I'm just, tears are just rolling down my face. And I'm looking at all these little prayers that people write out. They roll them up, and they stuff them in the cracks back up in the wall. And they do that in hopes that an angel will come from heaven, come down and take that prayer back up to God. And I'm just sitting there leaning on the wall, and I'm, I'm praying, and I'm, I'm thinking, wow. That is an empty hope. As believers, we place all of our trust and our hope in Jesus, knowing that we have the opportunity to communicate directly to him. And he's waiting there on our behalf to take our request directly to the throne room. And I'm just thinking of all of these, these men and these women that are there without Christ. And I literally just said, I said, God, I said, if it's your will, save them. Save one. What a difference it would be in their life for the life of Christ to become real in them 
after all that time that they've been in the Old Testament and still just studying the Torah, but to become real and life with the New Testament of Christ. That's what I experienced while I was at the wall. And after Christ's resurrection, the transformation of John and the disciples, it was absolutely incredible, phenomenal. He and the rest of the disciples, they turned into bold, courageous, and dedicated servants of God, far from what they were before because they were scared, hopeless, and depressed before that. But John continued, he continued to do the work of God. He helped. Uh, matter of fact, he established the first church in Jerusalem and then served and supported other groups in Asia Minor and Ephesus. He even wrote during, during that time, he even wrote five books of the Bible, John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Revelation. Well, of all the disciples of Christ, John was the only one that was focused more on God's love and the love that you and I need to be sharing with others. And if you can recall, John wasn't like that before. And I kind of, I looked at myself as, as being like John, and I think that's what kind of connected me with having that, that zealous character and, and growing out of that and growing into uh, a, a godly man. At least that's my desire, is to be more of, of a godly man. And of all the disciples of Christ, that's, John was focused on God's love and loving others. And, uh, and how, there, at that very moment, you know, there was a great change that took place in his life. Great change. He, he had an opportunity to live close with God, to walk, walk with Jesus during that time, hearing him speak of godly love, watching him practice what true love was. And John eventually learned what it, really, what it was really to take to have a godly love. In the first epistle uh, of 1 John 5, 3, it's not going to come up, but I want to share this with you. This is John helps us understand what love is. And he says in 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. John knew very well that God's commandments and laws are not there to punish or restrict you and I in our freedom. But in reality, it's God's way to communicate his love to you and I. When we keep God's commandments, we feel God's love. It becomes a part of who we are because it preserves us from evil. Keeping the commandments of God holds the key to life of joy, peace, and happiness. Are you still working those commandments out? What's the first commandment? One God. Second one? No idols. Third one? Watch your... Do not take the name of the Lord God in vain. The fourth one is, right, keep the Sabbath day holy, worship and rest. Okay, I'm not going to go through them all, but good. I'm glad to hear that at least some of you are still using that because, yeah, it absolutely makes a difference when we're keeping the commandments. And notice what else John tells us about godly love in John, John, 1 John 4, 18. And this one here will come up for you. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Wow. John explains that true love should cast out fear in our life. Do you have fear in your life this morning? You can get rid of it. You can cast it out. Just fill it with God. Fill it with love. Right? Scripture says that God is... And why won't you want him in your life? Fill your life with God. It's awesome. When we study the life of John, we understand what love truly is. And as we learn from John, the one who Jesus loved, we learn to love God more, and we learn to love others more. And that brings us to our fifth fill in the blank. Encounter a bigger love for God and others. Encounter a bigger love for God and others. As scripture became more real to me, it was so beautiful for me to see why and how God, through Jesus, specifically chose his disciples by their unique trades, their backgrounds, and their personalities to fulfill the will of his Father. And then, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Gospels were written. 
I wanted to share with you a little bit of my thoughts in that. Matthew. Matthew. He wrote his gospel letter to the Jews. He wrote it to tell them that the long-awaited Messiah, the hope of Israel, has come. And as you move through Matthew, you'll see how many times he makes reference to the prophets in the Scriptures in the Old Testament, in the Torah, that spoke. They all spoke of Jesus' birth. Everything in the Old Testament points to Christ. And he was telling the Jewish people, he is here. And then you have Luke. Luke wrote his gospel letter to the Gentiles. He wrote it to give them an orderly testimony with factual and historical accounts by those who actually witnessed these things, including Christ's family. And then there's Mark. Mark wrote his gospel letter to a Roman audience. And his style and emphasis was fast-paced. It was to the point about Christ as a servant of man rather than the king of the Jews. He left out all the details because if he would have had to explain that to the Romans, it would have taken him a lifetime. Yeah, amazing. But he, he did that. So he did refer in the Old Testament prophecies. He explained some Jewish words and traditions and, and practice. But, but Mark focused on the miracles and the compassion of Christ. And then there's John. John. John wrote his gospel letter to anyone and everyone that would read it in order to bridge that gap and to establish the fact that Jesus is God and man in one person. John presents Jesus Christ as the word through which all things were created and is saying that God chose Jesus as his messenger, the Messiah, to tell you and I about himself. John's testimony is the unnamed disciple who loved Jesus, it testifies to these things and those things that he wrote. And you and I know that his testimony is true. And to confirm our thoughts, if you have any thoughts or question on who Jesus really is, in Revelation chapter 19, verse 13, John sees Jesus coming on a white horse to wage war with the enemies of God. And he wrote in that verse, he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And then in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, who's Jesus, that all might believe through him. He, John the Baptist, he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He, Jesus, was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Wow, that's huge. I think that's going to be my next message. Grace upon grace. There's so much in there. That is absolutely incredible. And then verse 17, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Wow. I have another picture here. A picture of what we could refer to as the empty tomb. 
As you look at it, you see just darkness. There's nothing inside it. I didn't want to give you a picture of what inside of it because we don't know exactly if this is the place where Jesus was laid. But to kind of give you just at least a picture with nothing else in it, but just a picture of the tomb, the empty tomb. And I want to continue reading about that in John chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, but not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Wow. I'm going to kind of hold right there for a moment. Was that important? Absolutely. Is it really significant? Yes, it is. And I want to share that really briefly with you this morning because there may be some here this morning that have never heard this or never connected this part of Scripture. But it's so important that in the Hebrew tradition of that day, and it was known by every servant, every family member, and especially every Jewish boy about the napkin. So the napkin is in when the servant would set the dinner table, it would be set specific for the master, and it was set perfectly. Everything on the table was in order. Nothing on the table was out of place. And after the servant would make sure that everything was, was in place, he would just kind of move out of sight, be off to the side, until the master had finished eating. Now, if the master was done eating, he'd rise up from the table and he'd take his napkin and then he'd end up wiping his, his hands with it. He'd wipe his face and also he'd clean off his beard to make sure that it was clean. All right? Now, if the master was done eating at that moment, he would just take the napkin and he'd just toss it back onto the table. And at that very moment, the servant knew that it was okay for them to go ahead and clear the table off. All right? That's what the, the wadded-up napkin meant. It was telling everyone, I am finished. But if the master got up from the table and he had the napkin in his hand and he used it to clean himself off, clean his hands off, and then he folded it back up and neatly set it back on the table, the servant would not dare touch the table because what the folded napkin meant at that point is, I am coming back. And that's exactly what Scripture is pointing to and telling us. And that's what Jesus was telling them. I am coming back. And then in verse 8, then the other disciple, who was John, and he had to tell us who, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. I'd like to share a, a closing thought with you from my encounter of a lifetime. I walked today where Jesus walked in days of long ago. I wandered down each path he knew with reverent step and slow. Those little lanes, they haven't changed. A sweet peace filled the air. I walked today where Jesus walked.
and felt him close to me. My pathway led through Bethlehem, a memory ever sweet, the little hills of Galilee that knew his childish feet, the Mount of Olives, hallowed scenes that Jesus knew before. I saw the mighty Jordan roar as in the days of yore. I knelt today where Jesus knelt, where all alone he prayed. The Garden of Gethsemane, my heart felt unafraid. I picked my heavy burden up, and with him by my side, I climbed the hill of Calvary. I climbed the hill of Calvary. I climbed the hill of Calvary, where on the cross he died. I walked today where Jesus walked and felt him close to me. Jerusalem is the center of Israel. There is no other city on earth that has captured the world's attention through the centuries like Jerusalem. God loves it. Satan hates it. Jesus wept over it and the Holy Spirit descended in it. The nations are drawn to it, and Christ will return and reign in it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you. Come on, didn't Ken do a great job this morning? Thank you, Ken. Thank you. Amen. Amen. I took several pages of notes, and I'm just grateful, Ken, that you would share from your heart uh, about John. And man, if there's one thing that I see, it's that John got it. He was the one whom Jesus loved. And John did everything he did, said everything he said, wrote everything he wrote because he was loved by Jesus. So we have a lot of commands, a lot of, a lot of urgings that John gives us about how to walk out our Christian life. And John got it. He knew that our obedience is a result, not a cause. Right? We love because he first loved us. So we seek him. Like Ken said today, uh, we follow Jesus, not men. We develop a closer relationship with God. We're ready for a new task. Uh, and we encounter a bigger and bigger love for God and others because he has first loved us. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. That's what it means to immediately walk away from your life and to follow him. It's not a cause, it's a result. We follow him because he's loved us. It's he that has done the work. You know, before he folded that towel, he said, it is finished. And the work to save you has been done. But today, that napkin's still folded. There's still more work for us to do because he has done all the work for us. Have you received that gift of his grace today? Have you given your life to the one who loves you unconditionally and eternally? He wants you to be his he wants you to live that life in response to what he's done for you. So I'd like to lead you. If that's you today, I'd like to lead you in a simple prayer of repentance and faith. John got it. He knew who he was. He knew that he was a traitor against a holy God. And so he surrendered his life to Christ. And that's what this prayer is all about, surrendering your life to Jesus, resulting in a life lived for him. So I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads, close their eyes, and I'd just like to lead you into this prayer of repentance and faith. 
If you'd like to give your life to Jesus, would you just pray this simple prayer with me? It goes like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I realize I'm a sinner. I've broken your heart by breaking your law. And God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I don't want to live that way anymore. Thank you for loving me. And thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place. God, as best as I know how, I give myself to you. I just want to be yours. Lord, I don't ever want to go back to that old. I just want to experience your new. So I know I need to change, but I can't. So I need you. Please come into my life and change me. Make me new. I'm yours, Lord. From this day forward, I'm never going back. And I know I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen, thank you. If, if you're here today and you prayed that prayer with me, do me a favor. We are all going to grab our response cards right now. Could you do that with me? Just grab response cards. Everybody in the room grabbing their response cards and finishing, filling those out, giving us prayer requests uh, or letting us know how we can help you, serve you, what your thoughts were about the message, whatever, just respond to us. But if you prayed that prayer today, would you please just check the spot on the card that says, I turned my life over to Christ. Drop that in the basket when it comes by so that we can especially be praying for you. We want to be able to follow up with you and help you start that life of obedience that he calls you to. Let's all continue to respond together.